0: Welcome to Yolitix, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics.
2: All right. Another week has come and gone, and here we are again, post election day. How are you feeling, Texas? We. Uh, would imagine that there's a good number of people who are really happy and a good number of people who are really unhappy because, uh, you know, Texas looks a lot like the rest of the country. What are you drinking there? First things first
1: here, Jason. I have a uh, (laughs) Allstadt. I didn't take German in in high school, so um, they might say Allstadt, but it's Allstaat Lager. This is born in Fredericksburg, immersed in German history. It's a premium German style beer. So uh, I'm looking forward to uh, pouring this one in the glass here.
2: Yeah, uh, you need to pour that into a stein. That's supposed to go into a stein. What oh, are no. you pouring that into, a margarita glass there?
1: Fortunately, this a is martini a glass. podcast,
2: and people can't see this, so. <laughs> Never mind what I'm a pouring Snoopy it cup. into. It's a Snoopy cup. Beer uh, is beer, my friend. That sounds excellent. Uh, you got a German beer there from good old Fredericksburg, Texas. Uh, I am going with uh, one from Four Corners Brewing Company in Dallas, Texas. It's called Local Buzz. It is a uh, honey rye golden ale. That's a
1: terrific one. It used to have that, uh, you know, the, the top would open, so the entire top would open. I think they had the to stop that though but that's a uh it's a good why because
2: people were just guzzling or no, what I, was happening
1: i think they were distributing it to other other states <laughs> or somewhere else and there were oh. laws that said you can't have a, a full open top i don't know what it was i'm i'm not uh, i'm not i'm not <laughs> up on that but what we have been up on oh, is yeah. kind of breaking down what happened last week with the election uh, last week i mean heck it was settled what on saturday right some people say it's not settled
2: in some people's minds it's still not settled and may not be settled uh we'll see how that goes uh but you know going into this uh, we kept on hearing all of this talk about how you know texas is going to turn blue it's going to turn blue this time granted the uh you know the difference between the two candidates was closer than it has been in a very long time here in texas but it was still not close relatively speaking um and uh a lot of people thought all along that there would be several constituencies that would push Democrats over the line here in Texas. And in fact, we spoke with one of these groups uh, earlier this year. It's called Jolt. It is a progressive organization here in uh, Texas that signs up uh, young Latino voters, and and they're they're going for that really young group that eighteen to thirty. Uh, so, Jason, sorry, you don't qualify even if you were Latino. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're, they're they're trying to to get that voting habit started early. Uh, and again, a lot of people thought that, you know, Latinos, a big Latino turnout would be one of the things that would push Joe Biden over the top here in Texas. But, of course, that didn't happen. He did not go over the top. And a lot of Latinos backed President Trump. Yeah, and Jolt is looking at the long game. So they're, they're trying
1: to register young Latinos who are not yet, you know, who have just turned 18 or at least let people who are under 18 know. So if you listen to some of our podcasts earlier when we interviewed uh, Jolt, I think they had a, a an effort where they were going to quinceañeras and they were um, trying to let people know, hey, why it's so important to register to vote when you turn 18, uh, et cetera. But it, it's... The Latino organizations realize this is important for a number of reasons. You know, number one, they just haven't voted like other ethnic groups in this state have, like other ethnic groups in this country have. That's just a, a stated fact. Now, one of the people you're about to hear from explains why. And it's fascinating. And, and the explanation from the uh, interim executive director of JOLT, Antonio uh, Ariano, says that they haven't been reached out to and which is a major problem on behalf of the democrats who probably take a lot of latinos for granted and the republicans who might think that hey they're democratic constituency they don't vote anyways why would we go to them but both sides i think after this election are seeing why it's important to reach out to everyone and that's tough and i've never run a campaign but i know you put your money where you know someone is a likely voter and if someone has no voting history then why would you put your money there? If you you can't confirm that so-and-so is going to show up, why would I invest money in that person? Well, Jolt is really making sure that people get out there and vote, and they're signing folks up to do it. Hey, Antonio, good to see you, man. Hey, it's good to be with you. So tell us, uh, you guys have worked hard to register folks. Uh, f- for a long time leading up to the 2020 election. But at least down in the valley, there are a lot of Latinos that just didn't vote Democratic. Why not?
3: You know, it's really interesting. The nation is fixated on Zapata County and trying to pin uh, Trump red Texas on Latinos. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, the reality is that only 15% of the Latino vote in Texas lives in South Texas. 60% of the Latino vote lives in the uh, five largest cities in the state, and those five cities went predominantly for uh, now President-elect Biden.
2: That's a good point. Uh, you know, I think I tend to fall into that, too, where you think the valley, you think that is it, it certainly is rich with Latino votes. But w- when you add it all up, the big cities is where you're going to find the, the
3: vast majority of Latinos. And I think that a lot of us tend to make that mistake. Absolutely what we need to recognize here is that there was a lack of investment in the valley right we need to make sure that we are reaching out and mobilizing and activating latino latino voters in a way that they see themselves reflected in the process texas has historically overlooked uh, latino voters they're often an afterthought right before the election how do we mobilize this last bit of uh, voters and if there's some budget left over we'll invest in a and some outreach And that's just not enough. Uh, Frankly, we need to recognize that the census estimates that Latino voters are on trajectory to become the majority of the population of the state of Texas. They need to be not looked as a given entity, instead looked at as a constituency that demands recruitment. And what we're seeing here in Texas and the story out of the 2020 election is that Latino voters are voting in record numbers. Texas saw 500,000 first time Latino voters during early voting this election cycle, that is to be celebrated and not to be ignored.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that that a lot of times the Latino constituency is overlooked. I think one of the reasons it it probably is overlooked, you'd probably agree, is that historically they haven't voted in the numbers like we are seeing now. So I don't think they'll be overlooked in the future. But, But let's go back and look at 2016, 2018, and now 2020 in the Valley, because there's no denying that regardless of who's voting there, the Valley isn't as Deep dark blue, as it was four eight years ago. Um, what 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 should Democrats be
3: doing differently in the Valley that they that they weren't doing this month? What we need to recognize is that in the Valley, the message that mobilizes Latino voters is an economic message. Mm-hmm. Folks are struggling. That's just the reality of it. Folks were on edge before the pandemic, struggling to make ends meet, to know how we're going to pay the rent, how we're going to put uh uh more more money in our pockets more food on the table and after the pandemic that only was exacerbated uh latino voters need a message a plan somebody to speak to them and say hey we hear you we know you're in pain and this is what we're going to do to make sure that we're addressing your concerns nobody the odd thing is
2: you usually when people are struggling though economically that tends to hurt the incumbent in this case it helped the incumbent uh, so I, I think that's probably instructive for, for Democrats. It's it, you know, Republicans have to feel great about how they did down in the Valley and think, how, how do we bottle this special sauce from 2020? Democrats obviously have to adjust strategy. What about Jolt? What do you guys take away from what happened in 2020 in the Valley and the rest of Texas? How does it uh, inform you going forward into 2020? Uh, I mean, 2022 or 2024?
3: Listen, we are ready to go, locked and loaded for 2022. It's it's a message of activating the base. Uh, we're seeing young voters engaged like never before. There's a 600% increase among young voter participation during early voting. We're seeing young voters in Texas, young voters of color in Texas come out like never before. JOLT targets 18 to 30 year old Latinos. That's our bread and butter. That's who we're trying to mobilize. And what we're gonna do here is continue to innovate civic engagement, continue to try to modernize the way that we do civic engagement. One example of that is our Poder 15 program. JOLT is the only organization in the nation that does voter registration at Quinceaneras. There's an estimated 50,000 quinceaneras happening in Texas every year, and we're capitalizing on that. We're making sure that we're harnessing the power of Latino culture to create a new tradition of civic engagement.
2: I think it's very mainstream by now, but quinceaneras, in case you're not familiar with them, are a coming-of-age celebration uh, when a young lady turns 15. We, we tend to celebrate the sweet 16th uh, a lot of times in American culture, but this is, uh, this is a huge phenomenon. These are enormous parties where you have a ton of you know about-to-be-young adults there uh, who are just years away from voting, and it is a, a, a perfect opportunity, I guess, to grab people and start that relationship for voting.
3: Yeah, they've been phenomenal for us. What, what we do is we prepare the young women, the quinceanera, to deliver a passionate speech during her event in which she calls on her guests. And she says, you know, I pledge that when I am of age, I will vote to defend my family against racism and discrimination. And I call on you, my guests here tonight, to be your registration to vote. Let that be your gift to me on this celebration. And you're seeing grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, Latinos that have never talked about politics before get up and come to the back of the room where Joel's team is ready to register them to vote.
1: Hmm. Yeah, Antonio, we, we've talked about uh, uh, that effort on our uh, Yolitics political podcast here in the past, but I want to ask you more about uh, issues as well, too. You mentioned the economy. Yeah. Um, there seem to be so many Latinos that, that uh, because of their Catholic faith, that, that vote specifically on uh, abortion, pro-life. Um, What are the other issues that you guys are seeing that that resonate uh, with the Latino community? It's a broad community. I hate saying it like it's, you know, one big monolithic community
3: here. I'm glad you asked, Jason. And, yes, we got to recognize the Latino constituency in Texas is culturally, ideologically and linguistically diverse. And Texas is the size of three Georgias. So your Mm -hmm. message for a Latino in Houston cannot be the same message for a Latino in the Rio Grande Valley or El Paso. They have different key voting motivators. But what we did is we recently conducted a study called the We Are Texas uh, uh, Analysis. And in this analysis, we identified some of the key voting motivators for that young Latino uh, block. And number one, healthcare. Mm -hmm. Texas leads the nation with the largest percentage of uninsured people in the country. And out of those, the biggest chunk, are Latinos. And right now, young Latinos are watching mom and dad, grandma and grandpa die because of COVID and the lack of access to healthcare, to affordable healthcare. And so healthcare is number one key motivator for for Latinos, young Latinos. Number two, immigration, immigration reform. We've seen now our state become synonymous with detention centers and family separation. This fight is happening in our backyard and we recognize that it's on us to make sure that we're leading transformative change. You're seeing Latinos come out like never before because of that. Number three, racial equity. In Texas, you don't have to tell Latinos about discrimination, they're experiencing it firsthand. It was just last fall that we saw a man drive from Dallas to El Paso to shoot Mexicans at a Walmart. Our community, quite frankly, has been terrorized by state leadership, by federal leadership for the past four years. And young Latinos are taking note of that. That's why they're coming out and voting in record numbers.
2: So, if you were to create a blueprint there at Jolt, and maybe you all already have, uh, how do you advise a candidate or a campaign when you talk about these different populations of Latinos, depending on where you are in the state? You almost, uh, it would seem, have to uh, break this state into five or six pieces, uh, craft a a particular message for each part of the state actually go there and campaign in those places and send that message and then what about uh ads uh, is it smart to do a lot more spanish language
3: ads uh, what is it that's missing yeah no you're absolutely right so i want to set one thing straight first of all jolt does not represent either political party we're a nonpartisan organization We're not here to fight for Republicans or Democrats. We're here to stand up and defend the Latino constituency. So if anybody's gonna
2: dominate with this group though, what is the blueprint for them?
3: Right, so what we need to understand is yes, you hit the nail on the head. Digital targeting by message testing is crucial. And so Jolt has identified, What is the message that resonates with each constituency in each community? And how do we pierce and penetrate deeply? Our impressions this election cycle are up to 14 million. 14 million impressions with Latino voters across the state due to our targeting messaging. And this year alone, we did a nonpartisan voter mobilization effort that did not focus on the candidates at the top of the ticket. We instead focused on those key motivators in healthcare, immigration reform, climate change, the economy, uh, racial equity. These were the issues that we targeted Latinos on and spoke to them about through a Latino lens, culturally relevant topics that talked about how it makes their life uh, better by uh, by engaging and being part of the decision making process in, on these topics. We know that, for example, communities in 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 Houston and and in San Antonio have been working hard to electrify their transit, public transit. They know that Houston is an oil and gas city and we know that it has its emissions are through the roof when it comes to climate climate pollution. We're talking to Latinos about that. In Latino majority neighborhoods that are living in the backyards of oil and gas companies next door to petrochemical plants, where their children are breathing the toxic fumes while their elected officials are lining their pockets with oil and gas money. We're talking directly to them about how they can begin to have a conversation about transitioning into a more equitable economy that brings in jobs but does not harm our planet or put our safety and health in jeopardy. These messages are resonating and what Jolt is doing is very, very, very important. We're sending a clear message that there's a notion that Latinos are monolithic and only should be mobilized around immigration in particular. Couldn't be further from the truth, Latinos are turning out in the areas that we targeted based on a variety of topics on a diverse uh, platitude of topics and 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 doing so at record breaking numbers. Hmm.
1: Well, Antonio, the Latino vote has always been or Latino turnout's always been considered the sleeping giant. And, and I'm curious about why you think that
3: that so many uh Latinos are voting now. Why now? Why this cycle? So first of all, at Jolt, we recognize the term the sleeping giant as a, as a racist trope because it tries to paint, uh, paint the Latino constituency as um, dormant or asleep or unaware, lazy. It takes me back to these early images that I had growing up where the only way that I could see a Latino reflected in culture was as the drunk uh, uh, um, guy with the big sombrero outside yeah. of the cantina. That's how society tried to depict us. It couldn't be further from the truth. Latinos, we got to get away from this notion that the Latino uh, constituency has a problem. We're not—we're not a problem that needs to be fixed. We are a constituency who has a lot of opportunity, and it needs to be maximized. And that's how we so, want so, to address. Yeah. Well, well, well con- Considering that,
1: then, why haven't campaigns engaged the Latinos like they have, you know, this election? I want to ask you that. And and on, and on top of that, I'm curious. Do you think it was a mistake for? Senator Harris at the last minute, now Vice President-elect Harris, to uh, to run down to the valley with Secretary Castro and others. So both of those questions on
3: the table for you here, man. So number one, I'll take uh, uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris first. I think it was great for uh, for her to go to the Rio Grande Valley. I would have loved to see Joe Biden go to the Rio Grande Valley and talk to that Catholic majority population about his Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Now, that would have been a winning strategy for him. You know, think about that. The Latino constituency in the Red Grand Valley is majority Catholic. If this if this man who was who at that time was running to be only the second president of the United States to be Catholic and went down there and talked to them about how his faith um, uh, shapes his perspectives on on an outlook on life, that would have solidified a large po- uh, majority of the population down there. It's a missed opportunity. Why? You ask me. Why is there a lack of investment? I'll tell you why, because in, in this country, the notion of democracy is was founded on one key thing, was to provide access to democracy to white land-owning men. That's what democracy was in America at its inception. Since then, uh, we have been evolving, modernizing, diversifying, and our systems have not caught up to that, right, and so what we need to recognize is that we need to modernize the way that we do outreach. The current strategy of phone banking and block walking has been the bread and butter of, of democracy for centuries. And that strategy was developed to mobilize middle-class white voters. That's not working for Latino voters here in Texas. I mean, we can talk to the, about the Democratic Party. They haven't won a statewide race in over 40 years, phone banking and block walking. If you think you're gonna continue to use that same strategy, guess what? You're gonna continue to get the same result. You need to innovate Modernize and expand the electorate in a culturally driven way.
2: And talk about breaking stereotypes here. You know, if you think about it, uh, we have to get past this notion that uh, the Latino vote, as Jason said, is some monolithic thing, and that it goes for a particular party every time. That it is somehow in the Democrats' uh, domain. Obviously, there are quite a few Latinos in Texas who identify with the Republican Party, uh, which makes uh, and and quite a few who, who identify with the Democratic Party, and so. That makes it uh, a group that it's going to have to be hard
3: fought over, just like every other voting block. You know, after uh, this election cycle, when the whole country was talking about uh, Latinos in South Texas going Trump, and and I was getting interview after interview, and they were saying Antonio why did Latinos vote Republican? Why did Latinos vote Republican? I'm like, when have you talked to a white voter and asked him why he went Republican? That conversation doesn't come up. And guess what? They vote, white voters in Texas voted by the majority Republican, but nobody's asking them why they voted Republican. We need to stop trying to blame people for how they vote and then focus on getting people out to vote,
2: period. And we gotta put people, take them out of this box that we have put them in uh, because everything doesn't just fit neatly like that,
3: Right. obviously. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the Democratic Party does not own the Latino vote. Nobody owns the Latino vote. They're a constituency like anybody else. You need to invest in them, recruit them um, to come out and vote. Latinos are not going to show up to a party they're not invited to, okay? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, you know, we're mobilizing young voters and we're asking them, have you heard from either campaign? Close to the election, to the general election, the majority of our members, we have 22,000 members across the state, had not heard from either political party. Okay. Not an email, not a DM, not, they hadn't heard from them. So, you know, uh, here's the thing. You can't Google translate your website to Spanish, run one Spanish ad on the radio and call that your Latino outreach and expect them to come out in the
2: book. That is such a great point. Uh, last thing, clearly work needs to be done, man. Exactly. The last thing I've got for you is, uh, you know, looping back to the quinceaneras, uh, you were saying that you all signed them up early. At 15, you're saying, hey, you take this pledge that you're going to come back and register to vote and actually vote. So you have a pipeline that you're looking at. Okay. Uh, we've already seen this tremendous number of Latinos in this state who are able to vote and who have cast votes, how much more is that likely to grow in these next couple of years?
3: Because you're seeing how many people are taking this pledge. Listen, it, what's coming in, what's coming uh, to Texas is very similar to what happened to Arizona. And we've got Republicans shaking in their boots in Texas because Uh, the transformation that this state is undergoing is really monumental. And uh, I hope that the rest of the nation begins to take note of the power and potential that the Latino constituency in Texas has, because let me tell you what, with 38 electoral votes, with 36 congressional seats, once we transform Texas, we don't just transform the state, we transform America. How long is it going to take to transform this state, Antonio? Uh, you know that's that's the question, right? Like that's the golden question. Um, right. Uh, we have a five-year plan to make massive amounts of impact. Um, the, the The census estimates by next year Latinos will be uh, over forty percent of the population. I think that what you're seeing here is combined with an enthusiasm to come out and vote in a growing constituency at record numbers. Um, it probably be within the next decade that you'll see uh, Texas fully. Uh, trans- transformed. Wow. Good insight, man. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Antonio. So, uh,
2: you know, off the top there, Jason, you were saying that, you know, there hasn't been this investment in trying to court the Latino vote aggressively. Antonio backing that up there. uh, And you have to think, you know, he says we're already geared up uh, with our organization for 2022 and beyond. You have to think that the political parties are looking at, you know, they look at these things, they go back, they check out, they do postmortems and figure out what went right in the state, what went wrong. And I have to think that both of them are looking at this and going, wow, we got a big missed opportunity here if many, many thousands of voters never heard from anyone in this cycle. And we better start uh, throwing some money at this and getting down there and knocking on those doors.
1: Yeah, Jason, you're you're the numbers guy. So, Texas turnout in the 2020 election, November election was what second, I think to the all-time turnout, wasn't it? wasn't yep. that what it was? Second to 1992?
2: Yeah. And well, but the, the the thing is is that you saw this enormous turnout in different parts of the state and and again, like we, you know, were talking about, uh some people said, well, you know, Hispanics didn't show up in the Valley. Well, They did, but they showed up in huge numbers in the cities, just like we saw all across the board, the cities uh, across Texas, the big cities. uh, The voter turnout was enormous, was historic. uh, But again, it didn't change the, the result that we've seen in one presidential election after another here.
1: Yeah, and it's not just the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, which if you're new to Texas and new to our podcast, thanks for being here, but the Rio Grande Valley is the southern tip of Texas. It's the cities of, uh, you probably heard of South Padre Island, I presume. Jason used to party there a lot during college. Um, <laughs> I did <it's>, actually. <laughs> I, I figured so. It's, it's a great place. Uh, McAllen, Brownsville, Harlingen, those, those cities. Uh, and there are you know, quite a few other cities around there too. But it's not just those cities that that have a lot of people talking. We're also talking about Arizona. We saw what happened in Arizona, uh, California with a huge uh, Latino population. And of course, South Florida, South Florida turned out the the Cuban um, and South American population there turned out for President Trump.
2: Yeah, and that and has a lot a
1: lot of folks talking. Jason, you lived there for a while.
2: Yeah, I did. I used to live in Miami Dade County. It is a very interesting place, to say the least. Uh, and yes, it has been a bastion of Democratic support over and over and over again. And this time, uh, it uh, was uh, Democrats terribly underperformed there, and it may have uh, been what you know largely cost them the state. Uh, and so, you know, as Antonio was talking about, uh, we can't be easily defined Latinos and, and, and put into this certain box. There are many different uh, offshoots of the Latino population. And you've got to be able to craft that message not only within a state, but within a country if you're running for national office. And again, in the postmortem, I would imagine that Democrats are looking very closely at how they performed uh, in Florida and in Texas with uh, the Latino vote and, and, and making some adjustments, some tweaks. Republicans will be as well though they're going to go hey how do we get more of this share or how do we keep this going and both parties should be talking
1: to our next two guests there are two political scientists who have been looking at the, the latino trends for uh, more, more than a decade since 06. so for 14 years they've been doing surveys year after year after year so after the 2016 election four years ago they took all the survey information and and interviewed specific Latino families and and put a book together called Holding Fast, Resilience and Civic Engagement Among Latino Immigrants. So our next two guests, uh, James McCann, he's a professor of political science at Purdue University in Indiana, and Michael Jones Correa, the president's distinguished professor of political science at the University of Pennsylvania. So I'm thinking this election is probably a political scientist's dream here, isn't it? Because there's so many avenues to go down and especially being here in Texas, Everyone's talking about the Latino vote and what in the world happened with Latino votes, specifically down in the Rio Grande Valley in cities like Harlingen, McAllen, uh, Brownsville and places like that that have traditionally been Democratic. They still are.
4: But Republicans
1: are chipping away, it seems, every election.
4: Well, Texas is always interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I have to say for political scientists, every election is fun. Um but Texas this time around, uh, because it seems to be inching its way to being a swing state, uh, possibly, maybe, sometime, uh, you know, is uh, was a particularly a place where people were looking uh, to see what happened. Um, so I think, you know, a couple of things happened. One of them is that, you know, suburbs and cities did move in a more democratic direction. Uh, turnout was high everywhere across the state. And as she pointed out, South Texas uh, went... Uh, in a really dramatic way uh, uh, toward the Republican Party uh, in the counties, particularly along the border. Um, not every county, but yeah. a bunch of them. And, and that has been really striking. So uh, it is certainly uh, kind of bringing alarm bells, should ring alarm bells for the Texas Democratic Party.
2: Yeah, when you talk about that shift that we saw down in the Rio Grande Valley, it was uh, it, it, pretty extraordinary. I, I'm looking at the map right now uh, from this election and from 2016, there were uh, several counties down that way. This used to be just a, a big blue area down in South Texas during presidential elections. Now we see some of the counties actually went red this time around. And even the ones that Joe Biden won, he was winning. You know, he was getting you know, 50, in the 50s in the percentages of votes, uh, whereas four years ago, Hillary Clinton was getting in the 60s, the 70s, even the 80s. Yeah. What is behind that change?
0: Let me toss out something here that um, might address that in some sense. Okay, so Michael and I did a survey of Latino immigrants. So these were first generation Latinos born somewhere else and in in the 2016 elections. And one of the things we found about Latino immigrants in Texas compared to um, Latino immigrants in California is that there was much less reporting of contacts with local political parties and local groups hmm. that reach out to Latinos. And and one kind of inference off of that, I suppose, is that they, the climate was right for a little you know, outreach on the Republican side. This was an under-mobilized constituency, uh, maybe taken for hmm. granted to an extent. So there was an opportunity there for Republicans uh, to reach out. And, and certainly in this COVID climate, um, on the Democratic side, there was less face-to-face traditional mobilizing. Um, and so that could have played a role as well, especially on mm-hmm. the Democratic side and in, in, you know, kind of reducing their their engagement.
1: Yeah Sorry to interrupt you there, uh, Jay, yeah. um, but we, we've heard from several people over the last week or so about how door-to-door might have really been a, a problem for Democrats. Of course, Democrats were, were concerned or are concerned, rightfully so. About the virus and spreading the virus, Republicans really went out door to door and, and speaking to uh, the chief strategist for Governor Greg Abbott, got him Dave Carney. He was saying that that's where they noticed voters were really engaging, and it, it wasn't just a couple of minutes at the door. People wanted to talk and, and wanted to, uh, you know, go back and forth.
4: But uh, is that really is that really that big of a deal? So there's a lot of political science research that shows that, yeah, door-to-door, particularly by someone who hmm. uh, shares your, say, uh, background, your hometown, you're your, uh, sort of similar to you, uh, that that really can make a difference in voter turnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that research is pretty solid. Uh, so, yeah, it, it might have made a difference uh, in South Texas, probably not a 50-point a, a difference. <laughs> but uh, uh, so there are other things going on, too. And I think Jay is right that... Um, you know, these, South Texas is an area that Democrats have taken for granted and uh, just assumed that it was always going to go Democratic and you didn't really have to do anything because, uh, you know, local officials, local elected officials who are themselves Latino or Hispanic would, would guarantee that the vote turned out and, and and that area would turn out to be uh, Democratic. But I think that um, was a, a mistaken assumption. Um, so they're kind of, uh, you know, putting rep- politicians in those areas put together kind of just enough votes to be able to win, but they're not actually turning out huge numbers of voters. And I think that's what Jay was getting at.
2: So let me ask you this, because we, we, we all know here that even as we're still awaiting the final outcome of the 2020 election, uh, because it uh, hasn't been uh, conceded uh, at this point, the um, we know that we're already looking ahead to 2022, 2024. There are more elections that are coming, and they'll get here fast. Is this a trend line that is just inexorable? Is this, you know, are are Democrats already, you know, trying to catch a a moving car that is racing away from them, or is there a chance that they can still win over this population uh, that, you know, apparently they've started to let slip through their fingers in Texas?
0: Um, I would call this a wake up call for local party organizers Um, on the Democratic side, of course there's a chance, uh, but they have to develop their networks better. You know, the next, well, here, let me just say that there's a tendency for both political parties to really ramp up the contacting right before the election. So they're really in service to candidates serving very short-term needs, get out the vote. And then there's a tendency to just, you know, forget about it all after the election. And that's not good for the long-term kind of viability of local political parties. So I think the, you know, the 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 cardinal lesson here is that uh, the Democrats need to work a little bit harder to develop these lasting connections. Michael's right that there is an awful lot of political science that door-to-door contacting matters a lot, especially with emerging voters, younger voters, uh, voters who have not yet become habituated to participating. And so... Over the next couple of years in your time frame that you're mentioning, yeah, the lesson here is that this is a constituency that is in play, but there's a warning sign for the Democrats now and they need to take that seriously.
1: We touched on on process, guys, but I want to ask about issues because the parties are pretty clear on the issues. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who think there's a lot of backlash when when President Trump got elected to the anti-immigrant rhetoric. I'm sure Democrats thought, well, hey, this is going to lock up the valley really for us and and the uh, the border areas. But so many people in the Rio Grande Valley and along the Texas-Mexico border, they they live there, so they know that the border wall is not going to do very much to stop illegal immigration. On the other hand uh you know latinos are are catholic and they they a lot of them vote on the uh, abortion issue i'm just curious what you guys are seeing as the issues that that these voters when in your surveys that these voters are, are really um you know going to either party on
4: so i'll just jump in there so I, as jay pointed out our survey uh was a first generation immigrants, so immigrants themselves and you know Immigration is obviously a big issue for that first generation and for their children. So uh, when we talk about what motivates people, their concern about people close to them, uh, potentially being uh, arrested or deported, uh, has this mobilizing effect. But you have to keep in mind that a lot of of Texans, uh, Latino Texans, are third, fourth plus generation. They've been here a long time And so that immigration issue doesn't necessarily have the same resonance uh, for them.
2: And can't it even go the other way a little bit where someone says, you know what, I'm here and I've made it work and I worked hard and there's uh, they might even be more reluctant to allow new people into the country unless they did it the way they have done it
4: or or they've forgotten how they're parents and grandparents came over uh mm. but yeah they you know they hear the uh, you know they hear trump at his rallies or they hear uh uh that that kind of anti immigrant uh, xenophobic message and they say oh, that's not about me uh you know they're mm-hmm. trump's not talking about about me or, or my family he's talking about you know other people um mm-hmm. and then you know what other issues resonate well you know the economy is a, a huge one and and trump never really lost his edge on the economy and they're it was his, it was his strongest issue uh, by far. You know, voters had lots of doubts about him on lots of other things. But uh, but on the economy, he held his uh, his edge really up
0: to the end. And how about abortion, though, too? Is that that big of an issue for these voters? Um, yes, it would be for, you know, church going Catholics, as as you suggested. Yeah. I mean, that that remains a mobilizing issue. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly it it. Um, you know, well could have become more salient with the Supreme Court vacancy in the final stages of the campaign.
4: Keep in, sh- mm-hmm. in mind, too, that uh, a lot of uh, Latino or Hispanics are, are themselves evangelicals. Um, so mm. if they're, you know, evangelical uh, w- w- sort of whites are the strongest uh, supporters of, of the Republican Party at this point, uh, of, and of Trump. Uh, as well, uh, and Latino evangelicals fall somewhere in between. They're more conservatives than than other Latinos, but not quite as conservative or Republican as as other evangelicals.
2: Hmm. So, so as we've been focusing in on uh, Latino voters in Texas, you know, we can jog over to the east and talk about uh, South Florida and you know Miami-Dade County. Back in 2016, Hillary Clinton won that county by 300,000 votes or so. Uh, Joe Biden this time around won that county by about uh, 87, 88, 89,000 votes. Uh, And of course, he ended up losing in Florida. He didn't have that tremendous margin that Democrats might have expected there. That is a whole different uh, Latino population there in South Florida. And so my question is, how much do you think both parties here need to sort of Decouple uh, f- from thinking of, of of Latinos as this big voting block because you have different Latino populations all over the country, just like you have different white populations ar- around the country, and different things you know will will appeal to them, and different things might turn them off.
0: Sure. Yeah, I think there's much more diversity among Latinos, especially in South Florida. So you have Cubans, Venezuelans, as well as Puerto Ricans, et cetera, et cetera. And there are different issue priorities for these different groups. Um, That being said, I think some of the things we talked about in Texas might be relevant in terms of the mobilization piece, um, that the Biden campaign was uh, fairly late to the dance there in South Florida as well. And, And they invested an awful lot in the final stages. But um you know you look earlier months before and during the summer and so on um the the campaign was criticized for under mobilizing under investing in florida
4: yeah this is something we haven't really talked about very much you know there's an awful lot of money being poured into both texas and florida and other states by the biden campaign um and in uh and in florida by mayor bloomberg of new york um but that was coming in it was a has a ton of money coming in very late so A lot of it went into TV advertising and not into the kind of door-to-door grassroots mobilizing that you need to get get people to turn out. Hmm. Just
1: to remind our listeners here, uh, we're talking to uh, uh, Jay McCann and Mike uh, Jones Correa from – Jay's from Purdue and uh, Mike's from the University of Pennsylvania. And their uh, book is called Holding Fast, Resilience and Civic Engagement Among Latino Immigrants. Uh, You guys have based this book, my understanding is, off of uh, the surveys you guys do every year. And you've been doing these surveys for almost a decade now, uh, Mike was telling us. Um, I'm just curious about how you've seen the responses change over the last decade, because American politics certainly has changed over the last decade. What what kind of trend lines are you seeing and any forecast of the future? I was hoping both of you could answer that.
0: Um, Well, yeah, one thing that we did notice in our book, uh, you know, as the subtitle says, uh, it focuses a lot on political engagement. And we do pick up an awful lot of political engagement among Latino immigrants relative to years past. Um, You know, one thing that really jumped out for us, and we talk about it in the book, is there was an awful lot of kind of direct action, you know, mobilization into um, pro-immigrant rights rallies and, and things like that uh approximately one out of five a little bit more than that of our survey respondents said that they had directly gotten involved in a march or a protest during uh the first year of the trump administration if you compare that to the amount of rallying before the 2016 elections and we have comparable measures going back well really all the way to 2006 um there was a, a, a sizable increase in political participation under Trump. And you have to go back to find something comparable. And it's actually more than comparable. Uh, you can go back to the 2006 mobilization, which was the genesis of the modern immigrant rights movement. Uh, there you see a much more significant outpouring. But, um, but compared to, say, 2012, 2010, uh, there was an uptick in political participation among Latino immigrants.
1: And Mike, what does this tell you about the future based on what you've seen and how Latinos are a lot more involved now civically? What does it tell you about the future?
4: So, you know, this is a high turnout election and uh, you have a lot of new voters, uh, among them the kinds of voters that we talk about in our book. Uh, so, you know, every year uh, about half a million uh Hispanic young Hispanic uh, youth turn 18, so that's uh, half a million potential new voters. Uh, about 300,000 uh, Hispanic immigrants uh, naturalize, so that's another 300,000 potential new voters. That's every year, so it's you know, 800,000 people every year. And so, there you know, these new voters have the potential to uh, to really shift politics, particularly at the state level uh, in the U.S. And the question is, uh, do they stay mobilized? Um, so often, you know, new voters are kind of invisible to parties because parties, when they're doing outreach, don't like doing outreach to, to new voters because they're kind of risky and they're kind of, you know, you Parties, when they're looking to turn out, they're looking to turn out people who they know have already voted. It's kind of it's kind of a weird system where you where you go, okay, you know, there are all these potential voters out there, but we're only going to focus on the people who have already voted in the past. Um, So uh, so you have this whole group of people and including, I think, a lot of those people we have been talking about in South Texas and Florida who are kind of invisible to to elections and campaigns because they've never voted before um so they're they can go either way and one of the things that jay and i talk about in our book is that their 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 uh, link to the parties are is actually pretty weak they're not they're not hard democrats or hard republicans they're kind of soft um mm. so they're mobilizable by uh, by either party um so but this is all to say that this election a lot of people were engaged and a lot of new voters were engaged and so, because they're now showing up on the radar of parties, because they've voted before, uh, they will be contacted again. So once you're once you show up on the radar, uh, you'll they'll they'll be mobilized.
2: But even those who haven't voted, I mean, the way you all describe it, this is a vast electorate that is sort of ripe for the picking here, uh, that hasn't yet polarized one way or the other. Uh, it would seem that both of the parties would just be you know, trying to beat their doors down right now. So I'm curious about your doors. I mean, you all have been studying this for a long time. You've written the book on it. You've done these surveys year after year. Have you been contacted by either party, whether it be from Texas or anywhere else, saying, "Hey, what's the what's the magic here? You know, what do what do we need to do to get these this this huge group of voters that no one's speaking to?"
0: Um, well, let me jump in. Um, we do say, uh, you know, very literally in our conclusion that we do not want to put on the kind of pundit hats. <laughs> okay, but but our bottom line is that this is a. Con- that doesn't stop them from calling <laughs> yeah, you though. Has a, anybody tried? Um, but, but we felt like we had to say that because we did start talking about advice for both political parties. And to expand on what Michael uh, just said a moment ago, um, we argue that this is a constituency worth competing over. Um, even mm-hmm. uh, immigrants who do not yet have citizenship rights, you know, still um, have a voice and, and, and can use it in some fashion and and so you know we suggested that both uh, political parties might be competitive with this constituency and and so it ought to be taken seriously Um, you know one other lesson from the world of political science uh, that uh, is that you know for younger voters or newer voters after about three election cycles a pattern is set in place that might be lifelong, hmm. okay? And hmm. so that would suggest that if we look at 2022, 24, going forward, you know, if you can, if the parties can continue to, to pull in immigrants and newer voters, then that might be a, decade, a decades-long kind of ripple.
2: Wow, there's a lot of opportunity there, then. But,
4: but to answer your question, my phone has not been ringing off the hook with the uh, Texas uh, Party officials wondering how to do this better.
1: Well, let me expand on what Jason uh, asked, because this is the last thing I was going to ask you guys. We, we started the conversation with with, uh, you know, the, the premise that Democrats have kind of uh, taken the valley, the Rio Grande Valley for granted. And Republicans are kind of, you know, lucking out. They're, they're chipping away more and more uh, voters down there. So can can both of you give us an idea of what Democrats in Texas need to do to hang on to those voters and what Republicans should be doing to keep uh, chipping away at the Democrats,
4: uh, uh,
1: you know, locked down there?
4: Well, I think what what Republicans should be doing is is doing what they're already doing, uh, uh, which is building a campaign or party infrastructure in South Texas that can challenge the existing party infrastructure that Democrats have and mobilize people around. know, family values, religion, uh, you know, how the economy is doing. Uh, You know, I have a former student who was doing interviews with uh, uh, ICE and Border Patrol agents uh, in South Texas. And, you know, the majority of those uh, agents are Hispanic. And Mm. in South Texas, those are good jobs. They they mm-hmm. pay well they have uh you know health benefits and oh. and and they retirement benefits so this is you know i think we underestimate how important uh that that economic <laughs> advantage is for uh for people uh, everywhere but uh, particularly in south texas um and for democrats uh you know i think the big issue they tried to push this election cycle was was care and i think that matters to a lot of people and you know uh Hispanic Latino community has been disproportionately affected by COVID, um, but uh, honestly, I think that that message was not enough. Um, mm. And something we haven't touched on when Jay and I have talked about a bit before is that that Biden may not have been the best messenger for the mm. for the Hispanic community, and mm. um, and in part because he was vice president to President Obama, and President Obama has. Uh, a uh, a kind of negative uh, perception around him uh, for many immigrants because he was seen as the deporter in chief Mm. more people were deported under president obama than uh, in his first term than were deported under president trump
1: yeah that that gets lost Mm. a lot um you're exactly right about that uh jay jay same question for you though what should Texas Democrats and what should Texas Republicans be doing right now to really capitalize on, on the uh, Latinos in the Valley or Latinos statewide?
0: Sure. Well, I would agree with everything Michael said about kind of platform definition and, and the clearer they can get on those issues and expand beyond just you know, w- you know, emphasizing immigration or, or you know, uh, uh, narrow gauging uh, to these constituents, I think the better. But, but there's an organizational piece to this as well that uh, both political parties, and Democrats in particular, need to demonstrate their accessibility, okay? So now's the time after the election to be grooming candidates from the community to be running for Mm -hmm. important local offices. It doesn't necessarily have to be a congressional seat or a a Senate seat or, you know, a big ticket. It has to start with state level offices, okay? Uh, Even very local kinds of municipal offices. Um, So demonstrating accessibility, uh, there's some, you know real good research as well to demonstrate that if you see a co-ethnic running on the on the ballot in some way uh, voters really latino voters really can resonate with that and so mm. they the parties need to you know throw open the doors yeah you know, a bit better than you know some organizations might be accustomed to do mm.
2: I'm always I'm always interested in the genesis of things, and so I'm going to close uh, with the beginning here. Uh, I'm I'm curious. You two guys are in in totally different areas here. Uh, Michael, you're at the University of Pennsylvania there in Philadelphia. Uh, Jay, you're uh, with Purdue there in Indiana. How did you all cross paths, and what made you look into this specifically? Because you all were sort of ahead of the curve on this before, uh, you know, uh, the, the Latino vote had been known as such a phenomenon. Y'all were already looking into this. What made you do that?
0: Um, <laughs> um, I guess uh, I'd have to recognize the Russell Sage Foundation as a sort of center point, but wouldn't you say, Michael? That you know, we're both affiliated with russell yep. sage and and that's based in new york it's a research foundation that uh is pretty well known among social scientists and they gave us some support to do some survey work uh, on, on latino immigrants and and we sort of got connected through those networks
4: hmm. i wouldn't just say that uh, so many many years ago when i first started getting interested in immigration uh i I was looking at uh, census uh, maps and uh, if you look at census maps and you look at the way that populations shift over time, uh, you can see these trends well before they hit politics and Hmm. uh, you know the increase of uh, immigrant voters who now make up one in ten of all voters and their children who make up another one in ten of all voters. Uh, you could see sort of coming uh, just by looking at demographic trends and the same thing for, for Latino voters. You know, this is going to keep moving because they're going to become a, a larger and larger portion of the, of the electorate. And doesn't matter what happens, who's president, it's going to keep going. And that is uh, something, you know, you, so if we're look, thinking about this and you know, how did we get started in this? And it, it's by paying attention to these long trends. Um, and that are shaping the country no matter what.
1: Yeah, and shaping this state as well, too. Guys, uh, We you know, it's not often we have such uh, intelligent folks on our podcast here. We're usually, uh, you know... Having a pint and just talking politics, but we appreciate the we appreciate this, the I'm insight. Have
2: that What's that, Mike? <laughs> yeah,
1: this
4: I'm happy to have that beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's
2: right. This may have actually made this may have actually made us smarter this time. Uh, again, Michael Jones, Correa, and Jay McCann. The book is called "Holding Fast: Resilience and Civic Engagement Among Latino Immigrants." Gentlemen, thank you both for for the time and for the expertise. Oh well, thank you very
0: much.
4: Thank you.
2: I'm shocked that their phone's not ringing off the hook. I mean, you've got these people who have this depth of knowledge about a population group that you need to be able to win in the United States. And uh, increasingly, you're going to need this population to win in the United States. I would think that anybody who has expertise on that is probably getting called a lot. But you know how it works, Jason. You go on Yolitics and that's when people start blowing your phone.
1: That, my friend, is where you should get your data right there.
2: Uh, you know, th- <laughs> fortunately, uh, James uh,
1: James definitely would, would take our phone call. So would Michael. So we appreciate that. Michael, by the way, uh, attended undergrad at Rice University in uh, in Houston. So he has some Texas
2: ties there as well, too. Everybody at some point crosses through Houston. Everyone goes
1: through Houston. Yeah, we, we've, we both have Houston ties. Both yeah. of our producers uh, here have Houston ties as well, too. At the end of the day, here's my takeaway. Both parties have to rethink how they how they reach out to Latino voters. And I say Latino voters kind of carefully because there are a lot of new voters in this state because there are a lot of new people here. Mm -hmm. But as I mentioned earlier, campaigns put their money where they know they can probably get some return, like anybody. You're going to put your money where you have a a history of voting. Jason, we know you vote all the time, so we're going to try to get you to vote for our guy this time. Mm
2: -hmm. The
1: the Mm -hmm. challenge for these campaigns and all the money that's in this state, coming into the state, and that goes out of this state is do you invest money if you're not sure if that person's going to vote? Do you invest money on these brand new voters coming out of the quinceaneras and places like that? And that's what the campaigns are going to have to reconsider and decide how much to put there. And I think what we saw in 2020 might give them an an indication of what their uh, return on that is.
2: Yeah, my takeaway here is uh, when you are a party or a candidate, you can't take anything for granted. Just like when you're a regular citizen, you can't take anything for granted. So don't ask a Latino person, why did you vote for a Republican? Because I think Antonio earlier made a great point. You don't ask a white person that, uh, generally speaking. Maybe you do. I don't know. But I think it's probably more likely to be asked of someone who's not white. So uh, you can't take anything for granted. You can't judge books by their covers. And uh I think that does it for today, and we will be back again next week, next Tuesday. Hopefully by then, um, everything's been settled, you know, and whichever way things go, whether it's the person you wanted, whether it's not the person you wanted, you know, uh, everybody's going to have to come together at some point to, to, to move forward. we got a lot of challenges facing this state and this country, and uh, it's about to be that time to, to start plotting forward again. And if there's something you want to hear on Yolitics,
1: you have a topic idea, definitely let us know. If you have a, a beer idea, uh, what Mrs. Wheeler should purchase to put in the refrigerator for Jason, uh, definitely let us know that as well, too, because I might have to rip off some of those ideas.
2: Look at you. You're drinking Fredericksburg, though. You're doing well. <laughs> you've, you've come back into the state again with your choices. Hey, y'all have a good week.